Last week, Christian showed us this wonderful story about what it means to be a disciple. It's a story that comes from the Gospel of Matthew, and it goes something like this. Jesus is with his disciples, his followers, and they are with a large crowd of people, thousands of people. And there Jesus is ministering. He's teaching. He's healing. He's equipping people there. And really, we know that the disciples were doing the same thing. They had that power from Jesus to minister too. So it was a long day of serving and loving people. And when they got to the end of the day, they discovered that a lot of people there were hungry, but not many of them had food. And so Jesus took the picnic basket of a little boy and he multiplied it and he made it into a feast for thousands of people. So you can imagine the elation, the the excitement that that would be if you were there with Jesus and you had seen all these powerful things happen and then you saw him feed all of these people, you'd be so excited. And then Jesus did something, well, kind of strange. He asks his disciples to get into a boat to go across the sea. He says, I'm going to leave you for a little bit. I need to go and be alone. He went to pray by himself to his father. He says, I will meet you there. Go across the sea. And they do. They get into the boat and they make their way across the sea. It's night. Remember, it's the end of the day. And on their way, a storm comes up, a terrible storm that rages through the night. So we found out a few things about discipleship from that message. We found out, first of all, that Disciples are people who listen to Jesus and obey him. To be a disciple of Jesus doesn't just mean that you like him or that you're interested in him. That's okay. But to be a disciple is to listen and to obey, to do things that even seem counterintuitive, to get in a boat, leave the shore, go out into a place where there might be a storm. The second thing we learned about disciples is that sometimes when you obey Jesus, there will be storms in your life. Sometimes it's the case that we think that if we obey Jesus, that everything's going to go smooth, everything's going to be fine. But sometimes it's not until you've made up your mind to obey the master. That's when storms come. And then the third thing that we learned is that even in the midst of those storms, maybe especially in the midst of those storms, that's when you see Jesus. You see at the end of that story that Jesus makes his way out to that ship of disciples. He walks out on the water and he is there with them in the storm. Sometimes it's not until you come to the end of your resources, the end of your strength, a time when you can't control it because there is a storm. You can do anything about it. You're sinking. That's when Jesus comes. So that's what we learned last week. And I hope if you didn't see it, that you get a chance to take a look at it. It's a great message. We're going to keep going this week and we're going to keep going in the same story because the story doesn't end then. The story doesn't conclude just with Jesus coming out to the ship. It goes on a little bit farther, and I'd like you to take a look at it. If you'd like to open your Bibles to Matthew 14, if you didn't bring a Bible along, you're going to see it on the screen behind me. This is what happens when Jesus gets out there. It says, and in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. You know what the fourth watch of the night is? It's the time between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., That's a tough time. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when Peter saw the wind, 
he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Dear friends, this is the word of the Lord. It was given to us in love. It is absolutely true. Let's listen now for God to speak to us. Would you please pray with me? Dear God, we do want you to speak to us. Each one of us has come here and we need to hear from you. Some of us are confident that you will speak to us. Some of us are not sure. But just like those disciples that saw you ascend, some believed, some doubted, we do gather around you and we ask that you would meet us, that you would speak to us in spite of ourselves, help us to see what it means to be your disciples and help us to see your love. And that's what we do ask. We ask that you would show us and help us to know how much you love us and then help us to love you back. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Peter is a disciple, and he's there in the middle of the sea, and he's there in the middle of the storm, and he's there in the middle of the night. And Peter does something very, very remarkable. I'm not talking about that he walks in the water. He does something remarkable before that. What Peter does that is so remarkable is that he tells Jesus, hey, ask me to come out and walk to you. It wasn't Jesus's idea that Peter would walk on the water. Did you see that? Look at verse 28. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Peter is a disciple who is beginning to see the same thing that any disciple will find out once they spend a lot of time with Jesus. And that is, when Jesus is with you, you can do impossible things. When you are in the presence of Jesus, when he is with you, you can do impossible things. Walking on the water is an impossible thing. Nobody has the capability to do that. Peter didn't have the capability to do that. But somehow he discerned that when he was with Jesus, he was able to do impossible things. And not only impossible things, but things that are really scary. Think about this. Peter had just a few moments before Jesus arrived, he'd been crying out. He'd been afraid. He's seeing the storm raging around him. He's in a boat and he's terrified. And a few moments later, he's ready to get out of the boat. And he feels confident. Why? Because things aren't scary anymore? No, they are. Notice the storm is still going. But now he sees Jesus and he says, if Jesus is here, I can do impossible things. I can do things that I wouldn't have been able to do without him here. So when Jesus is with you, you can do impossible things. And I want you to know this, Renaissance Church, because listen, this life that we're all in right now, this is not just a chance for us to keep our heads down and just stay out of trouble. Life is not just about getting through things the best that you can, not taking too many chances, just stay to the side. In my worst moments, that's how I feel. I'm just trying to keep things a little bit calm, not ruffle too many feathers. I'm just trying to to keep my head down. But that's not why God has put us into this world, into this life, into this church. He wants us to do impossible things. And so that's what Peter is showing us here. When you're with Jesus, when he is with you, you can do impossible things. Now, I wonder, you have to say it out loud, but I wonder what you think of when I say impossible 
things. As I think about that phrase, impossible things, some of the things that come to mind are like climbing Mount Everest or writing a symphony, impossible things. But you know, those aren't impossible things. People do them. They're hard, they're difficult, they're extraordinary, but they're not impossible. When I say that disciples do impossible things, I'm talking about impossible things like practicing patience. Being patient is an impossible thing. There are so many opportunities in this life for us to be impatient. When you're out on the road and the cars are around you, you begin to think about and look at the people around you as your opponents. You're trying to score victories on them. It's really hard to be patient. It's really hard to be patient when you have sent an email or a text or a call, and then you're waiting for somebody to return that call, to send an email back. You're looking at your phone, and you're waiting for the little bubble with the dots to come up. You sent them that text two and a half minutes ago, and they haven't gotten back to you. You know, we laugh, but it makes you feel a little bit, you know, not noticed. And then you kind of look at your own email box and you think, I haven't sent a lot of emails back too, but I've been busy. I've been busy. We have trouble being patient. We have trouble being patient when we're in stores, the waitress or the waiter or the clerk, they're not moving fast enough for us. We're impatient when the lab results don't come back fast enough, when some sort of bureaucracy gets in our way. It's impossible to be patient. And not only is it impossible to be patient with the people who are far away from us, people that we don't really know. It's especially hard to be patient with people who are close to us, people who love us, people that we love. The book of Ephesians says, this is how we're supposed to relate to the people who are closest to you. Maybe some of those people are close to you physically right now. Listen, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bear with one another in love. Isn't that what you want to do? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bear with one another in love. That's what you want to be and do. I know it's true. And you want people to be that way to you. And you know what? It's impossible. But when Jesus is close to you, when disciples are close to Jesus, you can do impossible things. When Jesus is close to you, you can do impossible things like you can be generous. You can be generous with the things that God has given to you. And when I say generous, look, I think we define generosity in ways that maybe aren't entirely accurate. This is sometimes how I think about generosity. I think I have this much, and then I pay for the things that I really need to pay for. And then I I pay for the things that I want. And then maybe I might give myself a little extra, like that thing that's a little special. And then I've got some left over, and then I have this, and I say, you know what, maybe I'll be generous with this but that's not really generosity. Jesus tells us what real generosity is. Do you know what real generosity it is? Is Jesus was sitting outside the temple one day. He was sitting across the place called the treasury. It was the place that people put their tithes and their offerings. And he was watching as people walked by, putting their money, their tithes, their offerings into the treasury. And as they were going by, it says that there were a number of people who were very, very wealthy, putting large amounts into the treasury. Jesus is watching, and he's watching. And then he sees an old woman walk by. And she goes by, and she puts two copper coins in. He said, that's it. That's it. 
he brings his disciples around him. He says, that's it. See, everybody else gave out of their abundance, gave out of their surplus. She gave out of her poverty. And I'll tell you, friends, that story scares me more than any storm could. Because when I look at that and think of it and I look at my own life, I think, I don't know if I could do that. I don't think I do that very much. And the truth is, do you know, it's impossible to do that. It's impossible. But when Jesus is with you, you can do impossible things. When Jesus is with you, you can do impossible things like you can grieve with hope. You can grieve with hope. That's what 1 Thessalonians says, that when you lose somebody in your life, you are to grieve with hope. Grieving with hope is different than grieving. Grieving is not hard to do. Grieving comes naturally. Grief comes as natural as pain comes when you get cut. Grief comes as naturally as hunger comes if you haven't had enough to eat. But grieving with hope, that's different. Grieving with hope is grieving with the knowledge that Jesus Christ is with you and that in his life and death, he's overcome death. And that in his resurrection, he's made it possible for the doors to be opened for people to walk out of graves and into eternal life. To grieve with hope is far different. I know that a number of you have lost parents. Some of you have lost parents when you were pretty young too. That is a difficult burden to bear. Some of you have lost spouses that you were with together for 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years that you built a life with. That is an impossible burden to bear. It's a grief that is very difficult to manage. Some of you, some of you have lost dear friends. Some of you have lost siblings. Somebody that you grew up with that knows all the same stories that you know. And some of you, Lord have mercy, have lost children. And that's a grief that I don't know that I even deserve to speak about, except I could only imagine that it is a grief that feels like a storm that has lasted all night and that is sinking you down into the abyss. And there into the midst of that grief, into the midst of that abyss, that darkness, that storm is Jesus. And Jesus is there with people who are sinking into an abyss, sinking into a storm. And you see in the story, he puts his hand out to Peter. And so disciples can do impossible things like grieve with hope. And it might be that you have to grieve with hope just on a day-to-day basis. Sometimes it might be hour by hour or minute by minute. But the promise is that you can grieve with hope, even in the storm. So disciples can do impossible things. They can things, do things that you wouldn't normally be able to do, to grieve with hope, to be generous, to be patient. And this is what Peter shows us. And you know, if you grew up in the church at all, Peter's always getting a bad rap. People are always saying really nasty things about Peter. He's dumb. He's impetuous. He shouldn't have said that. Look at Peter. But I do want you to look at Peter. I want you to see what he does. He sees that disciples can do impossible things. But Peter also does show us how we can get off track a little bit. Disciples can do the impossible, but sometimes when they're doing the impossible, they take their eyes off the one who can help them. Look now at verse, well, beginning at verse 29. It says, so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. 
Now, Peter has his eyes on Jesus, but then when he begins to walk on the water, it says he begins to look at something else. It says in this text that he saw something else besides Jesus. Call it out. Take a look. What did he see? He saw the wind. Hang on now. You can't see the wind. You can see the waves that are being kicked up by the wind. You can see the clouds moving across the sky, but you cannot see the wind. Peter has his eyes on something inconsequential. He has his eyes on something that is scary, but it's not consequential because Jesus is there with him. He takes his eyes off of Jesus. But then I'll tell you, Peter is still our guide. He's our model because do you see what he does then? I'm so, I'm so grateful that we get to see this because when he is falling, when he is being dragged down, when he can no longer walk and do that impossible thing, he does something really, really wise. He cries out. He says, Lord, save me. Pretty soon, I don't know when, maybe it'll be this fall, maybe it'll be a little later, I want to teach a course here at Renaissance. I want to teach a course on prayer. I want to study together with you and teach and learn about prayer. I want to do that not because I'm good at prayer, but because I want to grow in prayer. So soon, I hope, I don't know if we'll be on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night, I'm not sure, but at some point in time, I want to think together with you about how to pray. But before we even get there, we find a prayer here that is perfect. This is a perfect prayer. Lord, save me is a perfect prayer because all of us need saving. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who can save. He says, Lord, save me. And I want to speak to you today if you are not a Christian if you've been coming to the church only for a short time, maybe you've been coming to the church for a very long time, but you still maybe wouldn't call yourself a disciple. I want to implore you. I want, I want to beg you to take up this prayer into your own heart, into your lips, and be able to say, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. I wonder right now if you would say that even in your heart, if you would take it home with you tonight, if you are not a Christian. But if you are a Christian, I still want you to take this prayer with you. It's a perfect prayer even if you've been a disciple for a long time, to be able to say, Lord, save me, to focus your eyes and pay attention to the only thing that is of consequence when you're in a storm, which is Jesus. And so that's what I want to do also for the rest of our time. Peter takes his eye off of Jesus, but when you place your attention and your focus on Jesus, you not only can do impossible things, you can also live in the joy that Jesus has given you. So the rest of the time that we have here, I want to encourage you by showing you the different ways that you can pay attention to, focus, keep your eyes on Jesus. And I'll tell you, I want to do that because you are such an encouragement to me, Renaissance, each one of you. Those of you that I can see and those of you that I can't. I love seeing your faces. I really love it. I love being up here to see your faces. I like being down here, but I really look forward to being upstairs when I can see your faces all the beautiful ways that God has made you. I can see the people at our home too. I can't see you physically. I can see you with the eyes of my heart though. I love seeing your faces and seeing what God is doing in each of your lives. It's such an encouragement to me. This week I spoke with people who heard the sermon last week and said, I want to get off the shore. I want to listen to Jesus and get in the boat, even if it means a storm. I talked to people this week who said, you know, I want to, I want to try to use my gifts. I've never... I've never used my gifts in this way, but I want to try to serve in some way. Oh, that's encouraging to me. 
I talked to some people who were carrying immense, heavy, impossible burdens who said, I'm going to try to keep walking with Jesus. I want to keep being present to him. These are all such encouraging things to me, Renaissance. And so I want to try to be encouraging to you now by showing you how you can direct your attention and focus on Jesus. There are three ways, and this is how we'll finish up. First, I want you to hear his voice. The second, I want you to see his feet. And the third thing is, is I want you to take his hand. Hear his voice, see his feet, and take his hand. Did he say, see his feet? Yeah, he said, see his feet. I've been doing this a long time. Trust me, hang on. Okay, here's the first one. I want you to hear his voice. Look at verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Renaissance Church, in order to do impossible things, you have to hear the voice of Jesus. Christianity is not a set of rules, you've heard that. Christianity is not just showing up on church on Sunday, that's a good thing. Christianity is the person of Jesus who is alive. He's a real person. It's hearing his voice. And here he is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to Peter and Peter hears him. It's not until Peter hears him that he gets woken up from his slumber. It's only when he hears him that he says, I've got my eyes on the wrong thing. The wind, God's son is right in front of me. I'm gonna reach out my hand. He hears his voice. I want you to hear the voice of Jesus. And the voice of Jesus here is saying something we all need to hear. He says, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Don't fear. It's me. Do you know that that's the most common commandment in the entire Bible? Do not be afraid. It's in the Bible more than love one another or love God. It's the command that comes. It comes 10 times just in the Gospel of Matthew. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Be not afraid. All of these different ways of saying the same thing, that we have fear in us. And do you know why we're afraid? This is easy, because life is really scary. There are a lot of things going on in this life that are scary. But you see, our fear oftentimes is sort of connected somehow to our perception of God's presence. If we think that God is close to us, our fear goes down. And if we think God is far away, our fear goes up. Our perception of God's presence is a corollary to the ways that we are experiencing fear. And this is why Jesus says here, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. And here in that storm, and in whatever storm that you're in, Jesus Christ is the one and only person who can say, do not be afraid, and he can mean it. Because Jesus is the one, look, way back in Exodus, Moses is in front of the burning bush. God is speaking to him through the burning bush. And the voice comes and says, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. I want you to tell the elders of Israel, it's time for you guys to get out. It's time for you guys to be free. Moses says, this sounds like a really hard job. (laughs) He says, when I go there, who should I tell them sent me? What's your name? He asks God, what's your name? And God says, I am When you get there, tell them, I am sent you. So thousands of years later, Jesus is at the temple. And the teachers of the law say, you are acting in really strange ways. You're saying things we disagree with. Who do you think you are? And Jesus says, oh, me? He said, yeah, yeah, you think you're better than us? You think you're as great as our father Abraham? He said, oh, Abraham, 
before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is the Lord. He is there in the midst of that storm. He's looking around. Those waves are his children. That storm is like a pet to him. It's his little kitty cat. He can say, get down. You can't be here anymore. Jesus is the one who can say, do not be afraid. And he can mean it. And when he speaks it to you and I, it means everything. That's why I want you to hear his voice. How are you hearing the voice of Jesus in your life? You know, it's what, uh, February 5th, 6th, 7th, like that. Those of you maybe who took up a, what is it? It it is February, right? Okay, good. 6th, 7th, 9th. It's February 6th. So that means if you took up a Bible reading program for your New Year's resolution, that means you're probably in Leviticus. Uh, You haven't read it for a couple of days. You got bogged down where they were talking about mixed fabrics and how much meat to put on the sacrifice. That's okay. We've all been there but I want you to find ways to hear his voice. I want you to find ways to hear his voice when you are reading the scriptures on your own. I want you to find ways to hear his voice in the scriptures when you gather together in a community group. I want you to find ways to hear the scriptures, his voice when you are gathered together just like this or online because we need to hear his voice. You need to hear it. It's not a matter of following a rule or making sure that you've done it. You need to hear his voice. It's a good voice. I remember when I was in seminary, it was the first time somebody said, you should listen to Mahalia Jackson. Have you ever heard her sing? Put on a tape of Mahalia Jackson singing. Wow, her voice. It's something else. And I bet each of you have some kind of singer, some singer that you really love. You say their voice, Jeff Buckley or Nat King Cole, or Freddie Mercury, or Adele, or whoever you say, that voice, man, that kills me. Jesus has a voice like that. It's a voice as big as the sky. It's a voice as quiet as a whisper. Those of you who grew up in the church, you remember that old hymn, In the Garden? He speaks, and the sound of his voice is so sweet, the birds hush their singing. And the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing. He has a voice that's that's good, that you should hear his voice. Keep listening for his voice. Hear his voice. A disciple needs to hear his voice. And it's saying to you the things that you need to hear. And so I want you to pay attention to his voice. But I'll tell you this. Even if you don't pay attention to his voice, he's paying attention to you. He is speaking to you. He is speaking to you right now. He has ordained me to speak on his behalf right now. So I'm speaking to you right now, and he's saying, don't be afraid. It's me. You are my beloved son. You're my daughter. I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. Don't be afraid. It's me. So friends, we should hear his voice. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing, is you should see his feet. I get, don't laugh. I got this right from the scriptures. Look at this, verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. In the ancient Near East, at this time, the sea was the place of chaos. It was the place that was scary. It was a place of fear. There were monsters down there, Leviathan. It was a place that ships went down. It was a place you couldn't control. That's the way they thought of it in the ancient Near East. And I'll tell you, friends, if you don't think of the sea as a scary place now, it just means you haven't been out there. Because the sea is scary. It's more powerful than you. It's bigger than you are. 
It's a place that's just as scary as it was then. The sea was a symbol of chaos, even of evil. And so there they are out in the storm, something they can't control, something that they can't, they can't make good for themselves. And here comes Jesus, and he's walking on the water. Every footstep on top of that chaos and on top of that evil and on top of that thing that's trying to take them down, that's Jesus' feet. And if you can see them, you can see that they are stamping down on whatever opposes what is good, whatever opposes God's kingdom, right over the place of chaos. Do you see his feet? Do you see that they're trampling down everything that would oppose a flourishing life and a life where you come to know the beauty and love of God? That's what Jesus' feet are doing. Do you know what the most quoted Old Testament verse is in the entire New Testament? I told you before, the most common commandment is don't be afraid. Do you know what the most common verse is that's quoted in the New Testament from the Old Testament? It's Psalm 110. Look at this. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now you think about all the different ways that the Old Testament talks about Jesus. He's the suffering servant. He's the Lamb of God. He's the great shepherd. And this is the passage that the disciples, the writers of the New Testament say, well, if you really want to know who he is, it's this thing. He's making all of his enemies into a footstool. All of the enemies. And so as he's walking out there, your loneliness, he's putting his foot right down on it. And the injustice in our world, he's putting his foot right down on it. And the death that comes into our lives, he's putting his foot right down on it so that everything, everything that would separate you from the love of God, it's under Jesus's feet like a footstool. And this is what we need to see. We need to see that those things that scare us, that really are legitimately scary to us, they're underneath Jesus's feet. And he's making all things new. He's putting all those enemies under his feet. I want to read to you one quote. I'm not going to do this too often. I don't do this too often in, in uh, sermons where you read kind of a long quote. This one's worth it though. Listen, this will tell you about Jesus and the way that he is overcoming and making the enemies fall down at his feet. This is theologian Greg Boyd. He says, the death and resurrection of Jesus was a decisive act of war and it was initiated by God against everything that opposes him. It put Christ in a position above all demonic powers and he shall continue to battle from this exalted position until every one of those powers has been destroyed. The work of the cross and the resurrection is about dethroning a cruel, illegitimate ruler and reinstating a loving, legitimate ruler and that's Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is putting all of those enemies under his feet. Some of those enemies that prey upon you in the night, that haunt your dreams, that get in the craw, that are showing you that things can't be possible, those are all the enemies that Jesus is putting under his feet. Here's the last one. You should not only hear his voice and see his feet, you should take his hand. This is what you find when you look at verse 30 and 31. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand. Jesus immediately reached out his hand. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you little, little faith, why did you doubt? Peter is sinking. 
and he needs help. And there Jesus is, and he holds out his hand, and Peter takes it. And this is what Jesus will do for each one of us when we're in a storm. And sometimes it will be an internal thing. It'll be a thought. It'll be a feeling. It'll be a movement of your spirit, which makes you to know that Jesus is with you in that moment. Sometimes it's like that. Sometimes it's much more tangible. He will hold out his hand to you in a monetary resource, which comes to you at the moment that you need it. Or a friend who has a word of comfort or a bit of information or pulling you into some kind of group or community that you need at that moment. It could be any number of ways, but Jesus is in the business of being close to people in storms and making sure that he reaches out his hand to them. And I want you to reach out your hand and take it because he's reaching it out to you. It's the same way that I said about his voice. You may not be paying attention to his hand, but he is paying attention to you. And he's extending his hand to you so that you might be his disciple. Disciples can do impossible things, friends, but not only disciples, but you know also that churches can do impossible things. Renaissance, you can do impossible things. You know, we're going to be moving upstairs February 27th, just a couple of weeks. You know, it would be an impossible thing if that room was completely filled with both services, completely filled with people who are disciples of Jesus and also people who are just hearing the good news of Jesus for the first time and other people who are investigating and who aren't sure and other people maybe who are coming back to the faith in Jesus for the first time, a room completely filled so that we have to do another service and then another, but I'm not going to bring it up because that would be impossible. It would be impossible if through the week this building was filled with people who were studying the scriptures and who were gathering to encourage one another in situations of divorce or single parenting or grief, filled up with people who are bringing their kids here to help learn that, help them learn about the good news of Jesus, people making meals for one another. But again, I'm not going to bring that up. Forget I said it. It's impossible. Can you imagine this building being used as a place where we are gathering together to make it so that the people who of Union County who are hungry, who don't have enough food, who don't have enough resources, that they are cared for and loved in the name of Jesus no matter what they believe? That would be impossible. Or if this building were being used and we were gathering together and that we were serving the children in this county, children who are in compromised positions, children who aren't being cared for enough, if we gathered together and we found out how to do it, but that would be impossible. It would just be impossible. So let's do it. Let's do it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you are with us in the storm. Your voice comes to us, your feet trampling down all your enemies in your hand, lifting us up. God, help this story to be real for each one of us. Each one of us is in our own situation. Help us to see you and to know you and to be your disciple. But I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would do this not only for us as individuals, but that you would do it for us as a church, that you would help us as a community to do the impossible, to do the things that we would only dream about, the things that could only happen if you enable us to do them. So we ask, Lord Jesus, would you please fill this place up? with worshipers, people giving you glory, people praising your name and hearing good news. Please fill this place up. It's an impossible thing, but you can do it. Please help us to use this building for the good of this community, 
to help feed and clothe and nurture those who are struggling. Sometimes when it's us who's struggling or sometimes those who are our neighbors, help us. It's an impossible thing, but with you, we know we can do it. Give us wisdom, give us strength, give us power to be your disciples, to take your hand, to be lifted up out of the storm so that we might be the people who proclaim good news to the people around us. We ask these things not in our own strength because we don't have it. We ask these things in the strength of your name, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you please stand and worship with me?